Okay. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You again for our window of opportunity this morning. Thank You uh, for the time of worship through song and Your Word. Thank You for a time of fellowship and the meet and greet. And now, Father, uh, we want to take full advantage of this opportunity to be in Your Word and to allow the Holy Spirit to speak truth to us. And then, Lord, not just to hear it, but to be doers of the Word, to apply it. Again, knowing Your promise that as our minds are renewed and as we apply Your Word, we will be transformed from the inside out. And so we thank You for Your Word and ask that You would now open our hearts uh, to receive it and then to apply it. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, let's read Jeremiah 31, 33. Jeremiah 31, 33. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You may want to underline this. I will be their God and they will be my people. For several, several weeks, we have been trying to understand biblically what kind of relationship we're in with God. Man, you've heard before, Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. Well, then the question is, okay, if it's a relationship, what does that even mean? Define that, right? We saw in Matthew 28, you don't have to turn there, that if you're a Christian, you are called a disciple, right? Discipleship. And being a disciple isn't for the super spiritual ones. If you are a Christian, if you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible calls you a disciple, a follower of Christ, right? The word Christian, in fact, is Christ with the suffix I-A-N. That suffix means belonging to. It's like a political party, belonging to the party of. So if you're a Christ, I-A-N, you belong to Christ. You're a disciple, okay? What does that mean, right? And we're trying to understand, okay, if, I, if I'm a Christian, you say Matthew 28 says I'm a disciple. How does this work then? Well, how does this, this being a disciple work in 2014? How does this impact my life when I leave here? How does this impact my life uh, when I go home and I have to make decisions about what to watch on TV, what to listen to, how to use my money, what comes out of my mouth, you know? What does this disciple thing have to do with quote-unquote real life. You ever hear that? What does that have to do with real life? And we've been trying to define it, and we have been biblically over the last uh, several weeks, and we've understood that, 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 that at the heart of our relationship, as a disciple of Jesus, we are in covenant. We are in covenant. Okay, everyone say covenant. Covenant, right? We're in covenant. And, and again, words are very important. You've heard me say that. Uh, and so this relationship that we're in with God through Jesus is a covenant relationship covenant it's relationship right and if you see on your sermon notes there there are words and and you know i put this in there why does he put this in there all the time you got to know the words that god uses and it has to you have to start getting comfortable using them right and so we spent a few weeks on this word diatheke right if we're in covenant with god the first word that we learned was this greek word diatheke which means greater to lesser which means god is god and i am not which means God sets the terms, and the only thing I can do is agree or disagree. I'm not in a position to, to be negotiating. 
And that, we saw, was the crux of so much of our struggles with obedience issues. If you're real honest, if you're struggling in obedience to God, you've got to ask yourself, am I in diatheke, submitted to the greater, or do I look at God as what they call suntheke? I look at Him as an equal. So I'm going to tell God what I like and don't like. Right? It's diatheke. It's diatheke. Okay, and that, that can go from many of you, I believe, as you've been working through that and struggling through that, and if you learn to submit lo- lovingly and joyfully, your obedience just follows. God said it, that settles it. Remember that bumper sticker years, years ago? God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You ever remember that? I always struggled with that, that middle part. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I struggled with that I believe it part. I said, just cross that out. God said it, that settles it. But see, we like that I believe it, or I think, or I, in my opinion. So take that out. Diatheke says, God said it, that settles it. I was watching um, Jack the Giant Slayer, movie from years ago, right? Kind of a cool retake on uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, right? And in this movie, there's this uh, crown that's been forged from the giants, you know, from their heart, right? And the thing is, whenever the crown appears, all the giants have to just bow. They just bow immediately. They're in the middle of a war, and this crown appears, boom. And I was watching that just a couple days ago, and I said, Diatheke! This crown appears with this human wearing this crown, and these huge giants just bow. Immediately, they just bow. Whoever's wearing the crown... Immediate submission, immediate, just, I'm on my face, I'm on my knees. You know, they're just like, so saith the king. And I was sitting there, I'm like, wow, diatheke. What would happen in my life if, if, you know, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I said? What if we really took to heart, he was wearing the crown. And whenever we saw the crown and we acknowledged the crown, we just hit our, so saith the king. Right? So saith the king. Right? So diatheke. Then we looked at this word bereath. Everyone say bereath. That's the Old Testament word. It means to bind or to cut a covenant. To cut a covenant. And if you were here, we saw that, that blood covenant, right? We talked about animals in the Bible being cut in half. And, and in, in, in marriage, marriage is a covenant, a lot of the symbolism, right? In the, in the Old Testament, how many of you remember animals cut in half? Right, And then they, they, they go in the middle, and there's all kinds of blood and guts and all this kind of stuff. And people stand in the middle of this mess, you know, and they do this figure eight around the pieces of the animal, symbolizing eternity, infinity, right? And then in those cultures, they would cut themselves in their wrists, and they would do that, signifying what? We're one. We're one. And in fact, this, this thing was called the walk of death, right? So the next time you go to a marriage, a wedding... Just go, hey, they're doing the walk of death, right? And it's like, what it's making vows, and what they're saying in that walk of death is, hey, if I don't fulfill my vows, may it be done to me what was done to these animals. That's serious. See, and so in the Old Testament, when people heard that God wanted to be in covenant with them, they freaked out. That was serious. Blood covenant. Right? I, I shared with you before, probably, you know, marriage is a covenant, but in our culture it was kind of, it's kind of, you know, been more contractual now. It used to be a really strong illustration of covenant. Now, I shared with you weeks, 
before. Kind of the, the word picture for covenant, honestly, take it the right way, is gangs. If you know, you know how gangs work, you're either in or you're out. And once you're in, you're in. They're not playing. It's serious. And so through this, through this word bereave, the question for us was, if we're in covenant with God, how serious do we take this? Not somber, because we laugh and we have a great time around here, right? It's not being somber. It's serious. How serious is this relationship with God? Are you really in a blood covenant? Jesus says, this is the new covenant in my blood. How serious do we take that? You know, you say, well, how does this impact my real life? One of the ways is, this is serious. This is serious. See, in 20 plus years of ministry, especially in youth ministry, when I would do a a lot more counseling with kids and, and families, here's the deal. The things that I've had to deal with coming through my door are serious. And the decisions that people have made and the, and the consequences of those decisions on them and their families and their finances and their health and all this kind of stuff, that's serious. And so, so for me, when I say, how serious do you take this? I really mean that because I have sat across the desk from people who are dealing with some real serious issues. And at the core of those serious issues is what they're deciding to do or not do with what God says. You guys understand what I'm saying? There's a seriousness to it. There really is. It's not somber. It's not joyless. But it's serious. How serious do we take it? And sometimes, you know, I, I get concerned because we, you know, in the church, everything's trying to be so, so up. And so, and there's nothing wrong with being joyful and giving hugs and all that. But I shared with, with you before, as a youth pastor, we tried to make youth night always fun. Youth night always energetic and have games and food and good music. Like a big party for two hours every Wednesday or Thursday. It was a big party. And in the back of my head, I always wondered, are we teaching these kids the wrong thing? Are we teaching these kids that Christianity is just supposed to be a party? And you're always supposed to be up and loud and enthused and screaming and yelling. What about tomorrow when they get in a fight with their parents? What about tomorrow at school when they're offered drugs? What then with all the hype and hoopla? So, so is this tension we have in ministry to try to make it uh, kind of engaging, if you want to call it that, enthusiastic, fun and everything, but way over here, way over here, just as important, if not more, is the seriousness of this. The seriousness of this. You know? And so it, it, this word bereave, this word picture of blood covenant, the walk of death, right? The walk of death. And then we started, you see there, uh, last Sunday, this third word, hesed, right? Hesed, loving kindness, mercy, faithful love in action, often refers to God's loving kindness expressed in his covenant relationship with Israel. Some words to help us try to wrap our mind around hesed, strength, steadfastness, love, loyalty, trustworthiness, devotion, right? All these words that we maybe don't associate with God, quite frankly. Because we're a contract society. We're a contract. And we're used to people double-crossing us, 
We're used to people not fulfilling their end of the deal. We're used to the contract being rewritten and all this kind of stuff, right? And we, we assume that God is like that. But he's a God of covenant. And, and this word, maybe for me, the word that stands out is probably, or words I should say, is loyalty and trustworthiness. See, that, that, that's where I'm trying to wrap my mind around tested with God. Because I shared with you before, there have been, been times in my life when those who were very close to me, quite frankly, completely just stabbed me in the back. Just threw my world upside down. And for years and years, I just didn't want to trust. Angry, bitter, fearful. So this idea of trusting that someone loves you and then being betrayed. And then, and, then, and, and, and then as I'm studying this, God's working in my own life. Richie, all that stuff that happened to you at the human level, you've got to make a choice, man. You can't keep projecting that onto me. You've got to believe what I say in my word, that, that you can trust me, you can trust me, I'm devoted to you, I'm going to be loyal to you, my love for you is steadfast. It's not conditional. See, I, I grew up in a very conditional environment. At least I assumed it was. Get good grades. If you get good grades, then. If you do good in sports, then. Very conditional. So I'm wired for performance. I'm wired for man's approval. And God says, my love for you, it's not based on your performance, man. And that, that for me, I'm be honest with you, I just, I'm still trying to wrap my mind completely around that. What? No, I'm still loyal to you. I'm still devoted to you. My love for you is still steadfast. It's not, it's not, I know you grew up with performance. I know you grew up man-pleasing. I know you grew up with a lot of conditions about who would love you and why they love you. You've got to put all that aside. And Richie, you have to begin to relate to me according to my hesed. You've got to rest. There was a wonderful psalm, Psalm 119.76. We read it last night. It says, May your unfailing love be my comfort. Ah. Oh. See, I've been so wired deep down like this. And I'm realizing more and more why, I've been, why am I so wired all the time? because I don't have peace. I'm always trying to prove something. I'm always trying to maintain something. You know, I'm, everything's conditional, 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 conditional. You know, and pastors, you can get wrapped up in real knots real tight. Oh, attendance is up. It's good. Where is everybody? Oh, Lord, you must not be happy with me. And in the ministry world, if, if you're not finding your comfort in God's loyalty and steadfastness, it's a trap. And in your world, the non-ministry world, if you're caught up in trying to please man and you're living in, according to conditions that you think God has for you and you're not resting in His unfailing love as your comfort, it's a trap. It's a trap. I'm telling you right now, I'm just speaking from experience. It's a trap. You've got to be able to find the place where you can say, Lord, help me to go from here to here to get what it means for you to be loyal, devoted, and steadfast in your love to me. Isn't that crazy? Who wants that? Who wants, who, wants, who wants that relationship? Who would want a relationship where you knew without a doubt that the person you're in relationship was devoted, loyal, and trustworthy? Hands up. Okay. Now, 
be honest, who has a hard time believing that even about God still? Okay. I appreciate your honesty, but here's the thing. Just keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward. Don't use your struggle as an excuse to be stuck. Recognize that that's a weakness. Recognize that that's an area that you need to grow in. But keep moving forward. Amen? Because God's Word said it, that settles it. You're going to have to... That, that's your step of faith. That's where you're going to believe God versus your emotions. That's where you're going to believe God versus what you think. Because it says in His Word. And His Word is truth. Amen? All right. Look at this um, quote down at the bottom. Hesed is one of his most central characteristics. God's loving kindness is offered to his people who need redemption from sin, enemies, and troubles. The entire history of Yahweh's covenantal relationship with Israel can be summarized in terms of Hesed. It is the one permanent element in the flux of covenantal history. Right? If you look back in the Old Testament, Israel's all over the place. God's Love never changes. Right? One thing remains. That song that we sang, right? Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. Right? I shared this years ago uh, as an illustration. Can I use you two? Can I use you two? Betty, if you can come right over to slide right over here. Right? Okay. So, imagine Betty. Betty does usually most of the driving. Right? So, Betty, drive your car. Okay. So, let's pretend they're going home. Right? Betty and Daryl are going home. And then, yeah, don't stay on the road. Don't, don't veer off. Right? And let's say they have a car with a bench seat. So, they come to this light over here, and, and they, they stop behind a truck, an old truck that has a bench seat. Right? And, and they look in the front, and the truck in the front has a driver with two heads. You ever see that? Like, the driver and his, his girl's right there. Right? Yeah, right. Two heads, right? And, the, and, and the, there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a truck in front of him. A driver has two heads, right? And Daryl says to Betty, look at that. Look at that. And she's like, what? What? To ask the same boy. What? He goes, he goes, look at that. Look at that. Look at that, right? And, and, and he goes to Betty, what happened? What happened? What happened? Right? Look, because this Benji, and you know what, Betty? She, she looks over there and she turns to Daryl, turn to Daryl, and say, I never moved. I never moved. <laughs> She's behind the steering wheel. She never moved. This gap was Daryl moving. <laughs> See? Betty's answer is, I never moved. And God says, I never moved. I never moved. Some of us get in this relationship and this time in our season with God, and we're like, God, what happened? What happened? I was going to church. I was reading my Bible. I was into it. I went to men's group. I went to Wednesday nights. I was serving. And now I'm at home, not at church, today, wondering, what happened? And you know what God says? I never moved. I never moved. And why doesn't he move? Hesed. Hesed. He didn't move. He doesn't move. Who moves? Do this. Everyone do this. And do this. Okay. 
We move. We move, right? <laughs> right? And so we started looking at this, and God says, okay, how can I explain this? How can I give my people a word picture? Because Israel, the northern kingdom, right, there were 12 tribes, and in the history of God's chosen people, there were 12 tribes. They got split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel, right? And God says, how can I, how can I paint this picture of what's happening? in my relationship with my people, right? So turn to the book of Hosea. Go back to Hosea. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, right? We looked at Hosea chapter 1 last week. This is a word picture that God gave. He used his prophet Hosea to teach his people a lesson. All right, so teach his people a lesson. Okay? Now, in this time frame, when Hosea is prophesying, it is a time we saw of peace and prosperity. The country is doing well materially. Okay? The country is doing well. It's peace, it's prosperous, right? What has happened as a result, though, is what? Their need, their dependence on God, their relationship for God went like this. Wank. They moved. They moved. Right? And in fact, don't turn there to Deuteronomy 6.12. God says, hey, I'm warning you. Way back in Deuteronomy, he says, when you go to that land where I'm going to provide everything for you, Deuteronomy 6.12, he told them, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. They get to the land. It's peaceful. It's prosperous. And they move. That's what happens. They move. The Bible, it's a, it's a picture of spiritual adultery is what's going on here. Right? And so God says, I got, I'm going to use Hosea. Hosea, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to speak to my people through your life. Right? And we saw, and, and this is just one of those books in the Bible that you're like, I can't believe that book is in the Bible. Right? Hosea chapter 1. Right? Let's look at uh, verse 2. It says, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Debliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. So God says, hey, you know what? My people are committing spiritual adultery. Hosea, here's how we're going to kind of call them out on it. I want you to go marry Gomer, and I want you to know right up front, bro, she's going to be unfaithful. She's going to commit adultery. And we see, and we saw through um, chapter 1. First, she bears him, right? Bore him a son. Son's name meant God scatters, talking about God's coming judgment. And then in chapter 1, she bears him two more kids. And here's the deal. Based on what the Bible says, many people believe they're not even Hosea's. Ugh. And if you're feeling heartbreak for Hosea that's what God wants because I shared with you last Sunday we often equate uh, being disobedient and sinning 
and we, we, we project God being angry. What Hosea teaches us is that when we sin and when we go wander off after other things, God is heartbroken. He's heartbroken. Gomer, I mean, Gomer's actions would have not just, you know, a little bit wounded Hosea. He would have been devastated. Hosea would have been devastated. And, we, and, 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 and a huge difference can, 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 can happen in your life, in your relationship with the Lord. If you will, next time you say, Lord, I'm really tempted to sin, but if I sin, I know you're going to be angry. Why don't you say this? Lord, I'm really tempted to sin, but I know if I give in, I'm going to break your heart. I'm going to break your heart, God. And I don't want to break your heart. How much more powerful is that than just projecting anger and lightning bolts and God's wrath? Because we get used to that. We get used to our parents yelling. But how much more powerful is love and saying, Lord, I don't want to break your heart. I don't want to break your heart. Right? And then we saw at the end of chapter 1, that word yet, there's, there's incredible hope. Verse 10 says, Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. He's saying, Hey, you know what? Yet there's hope. And here's the thing for all of us here. If you're out there wandering, if you know people out there wandering, that word yet is awesome. That's Hesed. God's love is still there. He's still waiting for you to come home. Yet, the relationship can be strained. You can have alienation. But because of covenant, he's still there. Turn to someone next to you and say, he's still there. He's still there, right? He's still there. How many, how many like the fact that he's still there? Right? And then, okay, we're going to move forward. And we're just going to do real broad because the point of this is God's hesed. Right? And Hosea, we could spend months on Hosea. In chapter 2, okay, in chapter 2, Turn to Hosea 2, right? Verse 7. This is talking about Israel's actions and God's punishment and his discipline and the consequences of what's happening. Verse 7. She will chase after her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain the new wine and oil who lavished on her the silver and gold which they used for Baal. Therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her nakedness. Right? Chapter 2, the first uh, 22 verses, actually the first 13 verses, I'm sorry, the first 13 verses, God says, hey, because of your actions, because of your willful disobedience, Israel, there's discipline coming. There's consequences and you got to believe this. When you make willful, sinful choices, God will allow consequences in your life. And He may discipline you. He may discipline you. But here's the thing. Why does God discipline you? Because He's an angry, vengeful God? What is the point of God's discipline? Love, specifically what? To do what? To bring you back. You got to get that. He disciplines us to bring him back to who? To him. I put a whole bunch of verses there, right? Proverbs 3, uh, 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he what? Loves. As a father, the son he delights in, right? 
I love Psalm 119.67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. The afflictions, the disciplines of God, you know what? They're meant for whose benefit? I won't say mine. <laughs> right? Mine. In the New Testament, Hebrews 12. You don't have to turn there. And have you forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. So in Hosea 2, God is saying, hey guys, your willful actions, your sinful disobedience, there are consequences and I'm going to mete out some discipline. But no, but no, it's so that you come back to me. Romans 2.4, I love this verse. It says the kindness of God leads us to repentance. It's His kindness. It's His patience. It's His loving discipline that says, come back. Come back. Right? I love this quote. Uh, it says, God still loves us when we sin. It's not an excuse to sin. Okay? But based on covenant, His love is still there. When He must chasten us, He does it reluctantly and with great anguish. I love this. His love won't permit him to leave us alone. Isn't that awesome? God loves you so much that when you're out there sinning, doing your own thing, he's still there. His love won't permit him to leave you alone. I don't know about you, but I kind of like that. It's kind of scary, but I kind of like that. Don't you love that? That's someone who's right there. He says, I got you. I'm not pleased. You have consequences. I know you're miserable right now. And there's discipline, yeah, but my love won't allow me to let you go. Hesed. It's steadfast. It's devoted. It's loyal. That's what kind of relationship you're in with God. It's awesome, right? And then at the end of verse two, uh, in chapter 2, he again goes back to verse 14. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. So after all this talk about discipline... He said he changes. Look at verse 14. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. What is he saying? Hey, when she comes back in repentance, boom. We're good. She's going to sing. There's going to be hope. Our relationship's going to be restored. It's all good. Isn't that awesome? And he, the, the, the chapter finishes with all these incredible promises of a restored relationship with God the minute, the second his people repent and turn. Right? And then in chapter 3, this incredible ending to the story, we're going to end. He, Hosea 3. The Lord said to me, verse 1, okay, the Lord is talking to Hosea, go. Show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or intimate with any man, and I will live with you. What? See, we don't know how long... Uh, what timeline has passed from chapter 2 to chapter 3. But what we do know, apparently, is that Gomer has left. She's not living at home. She left Hosea with the kids. 
And however long that was, weeks, months, years, at a certain point in chapter 3, she's out, living kind of as an object of some other man. And however long it was, God tells Hosea, Hey, Hosea, I want you to go get your wife back. Now, depending on if you're male or female here, that, that may resonate quite differently. What? But Lord, she, she's had kids and I don't even know if they're mine. But Lord, she's with another guy. Now, I want you to show your love to her like I love the Israelites. Wow. And then look what happened. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. What happens was many believe that she had been sold into slavery. So he went to an auction. And that, that amount there, the 15 shekels and then that, the wheat and grain, they come out, if you totaled it, they come out to about 30 shekels, which is in the Bible the price of a slave. At the slave auction, they bring out the slaves and they're naked. They got nothing. He goes to this auction and he buys back. I shared with the guys, can you imagine? You know, there's an auction, da, 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 sold! And then the crowd's like, who won the bid? Hosea? You? You bought her back? After all she's done? Are you, Hosea? You bought her back? Hosea! Absolutely mind-blowing. Because cause, cause Gomer, there's nothing, she's just, she's just, there's nothing in her to make her worthy. Nothing in her to, to, to create any sort of good, any sort of deservingness, any sort of anything, right? It was just pure grace and mercy and love. And then he says this, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. You know what he's saying? The word picture there is, hey, Gomer, come on. Come home. That lifestyle, that adultery is done. You've got to make choices. You've got to repent. It's done. And our relationship is going to be restored. God says to us, hey, I'm here. Repent. Put that put those choices away. Put that put 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 the things you've been doing. It's got to end. Repentance is changing your mind. And let's let's have a restored relationship based on new choices, new obedience that you're going to make. Does that make sense? It wasn't business as usual. He took her home and said there needs to be life changes. There needs to be life changes. And when we come back to God, there needs to be life changes. Can't be business as usual. Can't be business as usual, right? And some verses uh, I'm just going to share with you. I'm just going to I'm going to read these verses, and we'll close. First Corinthians six nineteen says this: Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. See in that story, Hosea is God, and who's Gomer? Us. And just like Hosea buying 
Gomer at that auction when she was just completely at the end, completely unworthy. That's us. And 1 Corinthians 6.19 says we were bought at a price. Ephesians 1.7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In Him we have redemption through His blood. See, we were bought at a price. It wasn't 30 shekels. It was Jesus' blood. And turn, turn to 1 Peter and we'll close with this. 1 Peter, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, chapter 1. First Peter 1, 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, okay, bought back from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. He's speaking to us. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Read it again. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You see, we were all at that auction. We were all done. We were all sinners. We're all separated from God. We had all done our own thing. And along comes Jesus, and he says, I'll buy them back. But the price was his blood. That's the price that he paid for us. That's amazing. And I love this, this old hymn. I put it in the, your notes there. He paid a debt he did not owe. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. Think about that. I owed a debt I could not pay. Another way to say it, Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. Whose debt was it? Mine. And what did he pay it with? His blood. That's how much God loves you. That is how valuable, that is how much he loves you. And if you're not, if you never put your faith in Christ, that's the gospel right there. Believe on Jesus, that he bought you with his blood. He loves you. And by faith in him alone, not by any works you're going to do, by faith in Jesus Christ alone, you become his child. And here's the thing. If you're here and you've been wandering, if you've been wandering like the Israelites and like Gomer, the good news for you, Hesed, come home like the prodigal son. Come home, confess, repent, and, and know that God still loves you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time this morning. And Father, through Hosea, you speak truth to your people, the Israelites back then, and you speak truth to us about your Hesed your steadfast, loyal, devoted love. And my prayer for us as we prepare for communion would be that if we've never put our faith in Jesus Christ, 
that today maybe we understand that he paid a debt he did not owe. He paid my debt with his blood. If you've never put your faith in Jesus alone for your salvation, you can do that by believing on his finished work at Calvary. And if you're here this morning and you have been wandering, maybe not as bad as Gomer, but you've been wandering and you know it and God knows it, then simply confess, repent, receive God's forgiveness, and come back to his steadfast love and be restored to full fellowship with him and begin walking aright and anew with him every day. Jesus' name. Amen.